Today in the podcast, I have Dan Horwich, who's the CEO of Camp IT, which is a meeting, uh, both in-person and virtual meeting forum uh, for IT professionals and their customers. And he has an amazing story about how his family uh, made it to America, overcoming pretty incredible challenges and uh, an amazing uh, connection that his uh, grandfather had with someone to get him to the U.S. And then his father started a company that he took over uh, then in the early 2000s and grew. And like a lot of us in COVID uh, lockdown times, had to pivot and do something different and found a really amazing way to do that. And now as things are starting to kind of turn back to in-person, he's pivoting yet again. And it's a really great story and I can't wait to jump into it. So let's do it. Dan Hort, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being with me today. Thank you for having me. So uh, I'll give you like a quick intro, then I'll let you dig into um, a little more detail. But uh, uh, Dan, I know you from Camp IT and a lot of other networking things. And what I'm really interested to talk about today is, you know, your ability to connect and create connections and and uh, do the work you're doing. But I'd love to hear, you know, the history of what you've been up to, and especially your semi-amazing pivot and uh, quick pivot in COVID, kind of a new way of, of working and doing business. Yeah, I appreciate Michael. So... Wow, I mean, there's a lot to cover, and I'm thrilled to be here. So thank yeah. you for the opportunity. So we've been hosting enterprise IT conferences, particularly in the Midwest, for 38 years, second-generation family business. Um, but with any sort of business, you're only as strong as your network. You can have the greatest offer. You can have the greatest tool. But I'm always fond of saying whatever you're selling, whatever you're providing over time can be commoditized pretty quickly. We've seen that with a lot of high-tech vendors that were there yesterday, they're gone today. Yeah. But I always say whatever you're selling can be commoditized, but what never becomes commoditized is the relationship. It's the authenticity. It's the uniqueness. So when the pandemic hit, I pivoted very quickly. I was doing um, an event um, first week in March, two years ago. One of my sponsors didn't want to come because of COVID. And I thought, COVID? Because we didn't know at that time right, sure. how difficult this was going to be. So a week later, I think I might have been almost at that conference. I do remember that moment. It, yeah, so it was it was uh, first week of March. So when I had heard that when I when that sponsor arrived at the event, they had mentioned to me they gave me some really good data on this and where this was coming from because they had a family member at the CDC. So within a week, I you know you get that con you, you get that sort of feedback and it's kind of a punch in the gut at first, right? As any entrepreneur, you, you need to hear it. You don't necessarily want to hear it. You have to absorb it, and then you have that moment of what am I going to do? And I would say maybe 10, 15 years ago, I would have panicked. I didn't panic. I just put it in motion. So I pivoted very quickly. So that event was second week of March. By March 26th, we hosted our first webinar, came up with four flavors, webinars, panel webinars, boardrooms, and virtual one-day events. The reason I mention that is when you pivot, you can't just come up with one offering to sustain yourself because right. that offering can be copied. But we were fortunate enough that we built a following for 38 years and I think I was fortunate that I invested a lot of time and money and data ahead of time, but that only takes you so far because yeah. everyone else can get that data. So it's understanding that once you pivot, it's not about you. It's about the community. It's about enabling others to pivot. It's about helping others get new roles, get jobs. But then that is a groundswell effect because then those folks want to help you. So that's in a nutshell, how are you able to do it quickly? It's a longer conversation, maybe for another time, but yeah. in a nutshell, that's really what started it. You know, it's it's really interesting because I, I feel like you know as a, an entrepreneur, I feel like the um, um, 
the the conventional wisdom that everyone knows is you're going to get more business from referrals and people you know and um you know uh, nurturing that network and yet everyone is out there trying to get you know net new business and you know trying to find new logos and all this kind of stuff and and, and if you just kind of spend time with your network and and people you know um it's just an easier it's an easier path to go down um so sometimes it's hard for people to realize that I can add to that because that's a, that's a great point you brought that you brought up because I love that because that happened to me. 2010, 2014, business was scaling. It was fantastic. 2015, it dips. Yeah. Why did it dip? Well, the value proposition was there. I knew the ROI, my sponsors and attendees. We knew the format worked, but I was doing the same thing that everyone else was doing. Email, phone, email, phone. Yeah. So to your point, I started developing more relationships like going on LinkedIn, meeting folks for coffee, opening up doors for them with no expectation in return. And then all of a sudden the guard goes down and the response is, well, you've been so generous helping me. How can I help you? Oh, of course. Right. And so it's that natural progression. It's almost karma. And not that, you know, a lot of folks have opinions on karma. What I found the last couple of years is the more people you help, the more it comes back in a significant way. But I love what you, what you mentioned because it's when you have robust network, people start, when I say robust network, not just people you've done business with, not just people you know. But a robust network of like-minded professionals that want to move the needle forward for others, you all scale together. And that's mm-hmm. kind of the missing piece that a lot of people think about networking. They go to certain networking events, they hand out business cards. It's not just your network, but continue to build your network because yeah. your network is going to dissipate over time. And you have to look at it as kind of how do I oil this machine further? Right. And, and, and for me, at least the more the more you nurture it and you find, you know, a core group of people really, you know, they have a free salesman in me going out there in the world, thinking about them, whether it's passive or active, thinking about, well, I, can, I bet, you know, I bet so-and-so could fit in here or, and vice versa. Uh, and then you feel good about it. Cause these are people you care about and develop relationships with. It's, it's, um, kind of a self-fulfilling, you know, perpetual motion machine kind of thing. Yeah. I call it the trajectory of joy. I was, yeah. I've been posting a lot about this on LinkedIn that the more you help others with no um, with no expectation, then it then it's it's authentic, it's truthful, it's sincere. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of what people feel right now is they want to do you know the old maxim of we only do business with people we trust and like. It's always held over time. Yeah, but I think even more so the pandemic has, and I hate to really focus on that right because we're all trying to get past that, and move on. But I think the reality of it is that people have started to feel they want to surround themselves with less toxic people. They yeah. want to know people are there they can trust. They don't want to be doing with a salesperson where they can see the salesperson's kind of commission right in his eyes. Yeah. They want someone that really cares about them. The example that I give is um, you want to make yourself indispensable to people. Yeah. Meaning that if you have a friend that needs an attorney, you help them find a good attorney. Where uh, a friend of ours who was very sick, I found uh, a physician for them. Right. Because I leveraged my network, leveraged LinkedIn, and thought about it holistically, not about an opportunity or a contract on the table, but yeah, yeah, about yeah. getting these people to a better place. Well, you know, let me ask this. So, so you know, you have a really uh, interesting, you know, family and personal story. Yeah. And you even added a dimension I didn't know, which I think you said at the, the beginning uh, of our conversation here, that uh, Camp IT is a, a second-generation business. Yeah. Um, I'd love to hear your, you know, a little bit about that story and how it followed this through line through starting this business and into the things we just talked about. Sure. No, thank you for that opportunity. So my folks actually started this 38 years ago. My father was a uh, senior corporate IT manager at Baxter Healthcare, wanted to get out of the corporate world for a number of reasons. 
Camp stood for the Corporate Association for Microcomputer Professionals, which makes everyone smile. That's a long time. Ago. Yeah. So this is early '80s, then, huh? 1984. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Great. Bill Gates at Keynote, seven events of ours back then. Steve Ball. Oh wow. It was, a, it was kind of a well-known show. I spent half a dozen years uh, in sales for some prominent vendors in the industry, some household names. Like if I were to mention these names to millennials, they would have a glazed over look because these companies <laughs> don't exist anymore, right? Right. So. Um, I, you, now you tease me. Who are who are? You? Give me give me some names from the past. Who was it? U.S. Robotics, 3Com, okay. uh, Lucent, some startups in between. Yeah, yeah. And so I was with the company, got acquired by Lucent. They shut down the division a year later, and I was going to go to my next startup. And my father called me up randomly and said, "Hey, you want to take over the family business?" And I said, "Well, we never had this conversation, and, and why?" And he said, "Well, because I wanted you to make your mistakes someplace else." I'm like, "Ah, yeah. <laughs> very sage advice." So I took it over. Struggled a couple of years because we didn't have the right format anymore. Changed our, our, our format, uh, built it up. But it, it's interesting. That's the business piece of it. But what enables me, but, it, but it's, a, it's an organization also enables me to help other people outside of the transaction thinking. Five years ago, sitting down with my father and brother, guys night out for burgers in the suburbs of Chicago. My father asked my brother, did you tell Danny what we found? My brother said, no. He said, tell him. Long and short of it is that there was a, my grandparents had left a suitcase after they passed away, sitting in my parents' crawl space for 30 years. No one had opened it up. We knew the family history, but it wasn't until we opened up the suitcase where, I should say my father and brother opened the suitcase, all the archives of my grandfather's escape from the Holocaust. And it was due to a stranger in Chicago he wrote a letter to in 1938. They went back and forth, became pen pals. That gentleman rescued my grandfather, made sure he had all the passports, all the documents, brought him to the United States, introduced him to my grandmother, and now there are three generations that are here. Wow. So those archives are at the Holocaust Museum. But why is that relevant to our discussion? Well, it's not lost on me, the the thread here, because it was about someone helping someone else, enabling someone. So every day, yeah. I have to make sure I'm enabling others. I have to make introductions for folks. If someone's in a bad place, I've got to do what I can, because then I'm not paying back that legacy. I can't pay back those folks that made that happen. So the way I do it, yeah. Um, <clears throat> that's really interesting. And, and I want to, I want to divert you too much, but I'm curious. You said that when you took over the business, there are some things that kind of weren't in place and had changed. And so that landscape of 84 to when you took over, sounds like mid nineties, yeah. a lot had changed. Like what, what were the things you had to, uh, kind of what leverage did you pull in the business to re realign yourself? No, it's a great question. It was actually, so I came on board 2001, so 20 years ago. So, Okay. Uh, it was a it was a general IT show focused on the desktop from the okay. '90s. So I tried to stretch the show to cover you know a bunch of different areas. Yeah. And the problem is when you do that, you weaken the overall focus. That's a lesson I learned. It's like a, a, a you know it would be like an MBA case study of what of what not not what not to do, but to learn from how that pivot didn't make sense. So instead, sure. Of doing one large event, trying to cater to ten different ten different industry segments, I broke it up. Instead of doing that one event twice a year, twenty events a year on one thing, and then every attendee has that specific responsibility. The, the contents line up to those specific responsibilities, and the sponsors line up to that. And my, yeah. my sponsors have done very well with it. The attendees like it because it's a full day of content that's focused on what they're dealing with. And then also speakers from IT departments, which is really the key to it because they want to hear from individuals like themselves. So I had to sort of step back. And think not what's it's not about camp IT, it's not about me. And this is how I've always felt. It's yeah. about the community. And anything we do as entrepreneurs, we may think we've got the greatest product, the greatest widget, the greatest relationships, but that's inward thinking. We have to think outwardly. Yeah. Like I tell my sponsors at my events, there are five things the attendees are thinking about. 
and none of it has anything to do with you. They're thinking about, and this is how I think a lot of entrepreneurs need to think. They're thinking about your customers, thinking about the disagreement they have with their spouse or their partner the night before. They're thinking about getting their kids into college and paying for it. When they can retire, yeah. when they can, can vacation, and sadly, an ill relative. What does that mean to any of us? That means we have to, we have a role to get them to a better place. Obviously, we want to sell them something We want because we have businesses to run. But I say focus on the human element first and the business second. Because if you develop that connection, yeah. develop that rapport, not only are you going to let their guard down and want to speak to you further about business opportunities, they're then most likely going to, if you ask them, they're going to introduce you to other folks because yeah, for you sure. separate yourself out. Well, it's, it's such a good point because I, I think the one thing that people forget is, you know, companies don't sell to companies. This is going to sound cliche, but like your people sell to people and that's a, a person you're working with. And if you can get inside what their challenges are with the problems they're trying to solve, it can't, it can never be about you or you're never going to go anywhere for sure. And I think that's what people are missing because historically salespeople were trained, get, you know, get a meeting with the customer, with the decision maker, get the deal closed, right? It was very yeah. logical in some ways. But they've missed the emotionally intelligent part of it is why are people buying? They're not buying just to make things more more efficient in their enterprise. That's part of it. But they're buying maybe for ego. They're buying maybe to get themselves promoted. They're buying to yeah. have a greater quality of living. They're buying to uh, – they're, they're procuring your services to make them look like stars so they can get mm -hmm. promoted, whatever it is. I think a lot of people miss that connection because it goes right into with your point. People buy from people. But you want people to feel like they want to buy. You don't want people to feel like they're being sold. And there's a there's a subtle differentiation there. Yeah. You know, you talked a little bit about like kind of advising your the 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 sponsors of your events and like what their customers are yeah. looking for. Talk a little bit about what you think they're getting from your company out of or, or, or you know, what's what's what are they getting out of Camp IT that's uh, important to them? From an attendee perspective, uh Education that's going to help them. I make sure that it's all that it's there aren't any thinly veiled pitches. I'm a stickler about detail. Uh, I have speakers okay. in there from IT organizations that are going to help them because they've been through those trials. They've been through those trials, right? Yeah. And for the sponsors, because I keep everyone together in one room, they're able to connect. They're able to, with the attendees. Uh, I'm unique in the fact that I'll do personal introductions on behalf of the sponsors to folks that they want to meet. I work yeah. the room, and then if I hear from an attendee that things are tight at their company or they need to make a move, then after the event, I'll introduce them to six recruiters. Like I, I find yeah. that it's about a fabric. It's not about an event. And that's where most event folks, and I'm not picking on folks in my industry, but I'm saying most people think an event's about getting people together. Yeah, but behind the scenes, it's about this fabric. How do you make everyone else successful? It's To me, it's a community. It's not about just an event, just to make money. It's yeah. about a community. And the community is only as strong as the glue that holds its members together. That's great. Um, well, so maybe as a, a final point here, um, I'd love to get your take on what the next six to 12 months looks like. I think when we, right before we started recording, you mentioned that um, you have a first in-person event in a while coming up. Like, tell me about where, where do you think this is going for your, your organization and kind of meetings in general? Yeah, so that, I appreciate that question. Yeah, February 24th, we're hosting an InfoSec risk management event. And I um, had really thought long and hard about this. Like, I have a lot of safety mm -hmm. um protocols in place for us. Everyone has to be vaccinated. They got probably proof of vaccination instead of having attendees to the classroom style and doing round tables, three yeah. or four, that sort of thing. Right. So I had to think it goes back to the community. I had to think about how do I make sure everyone's safe and it's mm -hmm. not, and, and I'm not, you know, willing to get into arguments with folks and different opinions on it because at the end of the day, I've got to keep everyone safe and it's the safe, you know, be people that yeah. love different opinions and that's fair. I respect everyone's right. 
but I'm, I'm just going to keep folks safe. So I think you're going to see more and more events come back. Um, the attendees, several of the attendees over the last week had told me, oh, thankful for in-person events. We're tired of being behind the screen. Yeah. We're, you know, all v- from a virtual perspective, we're, we're tuning out. Um, the content we'll stay tuned into, but meeting people, we need to be in person. This is from the practitioner side. Technology suppliers, vendors always want to get in front of folks, but the attendees are not saying to me, yeah, yeah. you know, it's time, we're feeling safer. And there's some folks that may not, and that's fine. I think over time, you're going to see it back. I think virtual is going to be... Um, a play for a lot of folks, but I think at the end of the day, people need that human interaction and there's nothing that replaces um, people having a side private conversation between a sponsor and attendee outside a conference room where they're not being recorded, where someone's sharing what's going on Mm -hmm. in their world or one vendor connect with another vendor where maybe they can partner on something. So it's that it's getting people together in a healthy way is where it's headed. I think for the future of the industry, the industry is going to come roaring back. I have no doubt because people need to meet with people. And now that more people feel comfortable, it's going to happen. That's great. Uh, well, so, hey, so when uh, when we post this up live, I'll make sure we have links to everything. Uh, we are doing this before that uh, February 22nd date. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll try to make sure this is out in time for that. If people are interested, I'll make sure the info, info is there. Uh, but Dan, this is great. I appreciate the, the conversation. It was a pleasure having you. Hope oh, to have you again sometime. My pleasure, Michael. Anything I can do to help you or your network, people can feel free to reach out to me. Excellent. All right. Good seeing you. Bye-bye. You well. Thank you. Thanks for listening all the way to the end. I know you can't like and subscribe to every podcast that you listen to, but if you do it for just one this week, I hope it's mine.